Welcome to Hacking the Self. I'm Adrian Baker, and today is our fourth and final conversation on Chinese medicine with acupuncturist Ben Alon. So if you haven't checked out those first three episodes, I wouldn't say it's absolutely imperative in order to listen to today's episode, but it certainly would be helpful foundation and it's interesting information, especially if you're new to Chinese medicine. I would say that in particular, the intro to Chinese medicine first episode and some of those others might have been helpful, would definitely be helpful as well, such as five elements and yin. But today is something that is going to be a really interesting conversation, I think, for people especially who have at least even just kind of a base knowledge of Chinese medicine, or perhaps it'll even just be interesting to anyone who's come across this term TCM, which is traditional Chinese medicine. Because when we think about Chinese medicine today, it's really become synonymous, at least in the West, with TCM. And as Ben will unpack, TCM is a bit of a, a confusing label because the idea of traditional Chinese medicine is somewhat, uh, it's kind of paradoxical, the name, because it's actually a relatively modern form of Chinese medicine. It really built on the ideas of ancient or classical Chinese medicine, which is what Ben was trained in. And TCM is a much more recent mainly 20th century iteration on Chinese medicine. So Ben is going to unpack in this episode, well, he's doing his best in the limited format that we have, but it's sort of like all these conversations. It's really an invitation to dive deeper into questions that are undoubtedly raised by this short course. So hopefully the idea of these kind of conversations is they give you a brief overview, they sort of pique your interest, and then if you're really interested, you can go explore that in more depth, and we can suggest some resources for that. In fact, Ben does during the course of our conversation. But Ben does a good job explaining in this short period of time, you know, how TCM sort of came about, what was sort of the reason for arising in that particular historical context in the 20th century, and what big picture are some of the differences between classical Chinese medicine and TCM? What are some of the advantages and limitations of each approach? And Ben and I uh, admit to sort of our bias. You know, Ben is trained in classical Chinese medicine, so he certainly comes at it with more of that perspective. And me, I'm much newer to Chinese medicine, but I will admit to, to having a, a view as well because the form of Qigong that I practice and now teach, White Tiger Qigong, which is a form of medical Qigong, it's a form of Taoist medical Qigong, i.e. that is based on classical Chinese medicine. So I have more of an orientation to classical Chinese medicine in, as well and just owning up to that perspective. But also we really try to, like I said, unpack sort of the differences and sort of advantages and disadvantages of each. And hopefully you find it interesting and, and you're interested in exploring more. So for those of you who are interested in exploring more, I'd love to recommend a great resource for you before I go to the talk with Ben, which is the talks of Jeffrey Yuan, whose name comes up in this conversation. Jeffrey Yuan, his last name is spelled Y-U-E-N. And Jeffrey Yuan comes from a long line of Taoist priests, and he's one of the more well-known classical Chinese medicine doctors in the United States. And if you Google Jeffrey Yuan lectures or Jeffrey Yuan talks. He has a website on which you can purchase his talks or 
some are much more intensive seminars for really people who are Chinese medicine practitioners. But he also has just, you know, two hour lectures, which are definitely available and accessible to people in the lay public. And I've gone through a lot of those lectures and found them very helpful, not only for as someone who's interested in medical qigong and learning more about Chinese medicine, but for anyone who's really interested in thinking about what healing is and how to confront illness or disease, or if you know a loved one who's going through illness or disease and, and how to think through it in perhaps a different lens than especially we're accustomed to thinking about in the conventional Western medical approach, I would, uh, I would strongly recommend checking out Jeffrey Yuan. And I say that as someone who's, I have no affiliate marketing links or anything with Jeffrey Yuan's uh, courses. I would love to promote him because, and it will happily do so anyways, because I just think he's a fantastic resource. So I would highly recommend checking those out. If in particular, you find this conversation interesting and want to learn more. Also for people who are interested in these conversations are really interested in Chinese medicine or medical Qigong in particular. And medical Qigong is a form of Qigong. If you don't know what that is, it, it means sort of uh, people often describe it as a form of, of Chinese, the Chinese equivalent of yoga. That's the, the quick sort of gross comparison. But it, it's translated oftentimes as sort of energy work. What it really is, it is, it is a system of movement that's designed to cultivate health and longevity is a succinct way of describing it. And there are all different types of purposes. There's martial qigong for martial arts, but medical qigong is for health and longevity. And the kind of qigong that I practice and teach is called white tiger qigong. Ben also practices that and teaches it as well. And I would say for anyone who's interested in learning more about an important aspect of the Chinese medical approach to health and longevity, they should definitely check out medical Qigong and white tiger Qigong would be a fantastic resource for that. So you could check them out by going to my website, adrianbakerqigong.com. And that's spelled Qigong, Q-I-G-O-N-G.com. So A-D-R-I-A-N-B-A-K-E-R-Q-I-G-O-N-G.com. And on the source section of my website, you'll see White Tiger Qigong. And you can check out going through either that link or even on the front page of my Qigong uh, website, you'll see a bunch of online courses for White Tiger Qigong, as well as their teacher trainings. But I can't recommend them highly enough, and particularly if you're not in a place where you have access to learning in person, the online courses are a wonderful way to start learning, and really they're very reasonably priced given for the quality of instruction that you get. And the, the other thing that I would say is for people who find themselves interested in Chinese medicine is I would check out the herb work section in the store section of the website, of my Qigong website, because... The Herbworks has really high quality products from a great Chinese herbalist who's going to be a guest on this show next. His name is Roger Drummer. And there are two of his products that I've started using regularly. One is called Tian Qi and another is called Inner Peace. And both of them largely have the same adaptogenic mix there. For those who are familiar with adaptogen, they might be familiar with things like reishi mushrooms. Ashwagandha is another key ingredient that's from Ayurveda, but that's also in, 
and Tian Chi because uh, Roger is just a huge fan of the stress down-regulating properties of that particular herb, as well as Shizandra berry, which has a very special place in Chinese medicine. And so it's really a combination of different herbs from Ayurvedic and mainly Chinese medicine that are designed to support your adrenals and really be a very healthy way to down-regulate stress in your body. And I can absolutely feel it when I take these supplements. And if you're interested, you can hear all about the science of it in my conversation with Roger, but these are safe, they're very affordable, and I think they have great health benefits as well. The health benefits, for example, of reishi mushrooms are something that have been extolled not only through Chinese medicine, but um, now we're getting more and more scientific research out on these products as well. For Sigmatic, which I also offer through my store, I should say they also have some great reishi mushrooms products. I really like their hot cacao reishi with cinnamon, which is also great. And that's something for people who are looking to relax in the evening, especially I find it very helpful for sleep, for making me more tired and getting ready to go to bed at night. So for anyone interested in Chinese medicine and maybe trying out Chinese herbs, I would strongly recommend Tian Chi and Inner Peace. Tian Chi you can take in the morning, and it's also got a healthy mix of B vitamins and vitamin C, and it uh, has some support in there for cognitive function as well, and that you take in the morning or afternoon, and then Inner, inner Peace you take in the evening to relax. So some resources there for folks who might be interested. Finally, I would ask, if you're a fan of this podcast, especially if you've been listening in the past, you like what you hear, even if you just your first time and you enjoy this episode, please take 30 seconds to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that's through the Apple podcasting app or Google or Stitcher. But if you subscribe to the podcast, that really helps the algorithm in terms of ratings for the show and increasing our visibility. Also, just taking you know 30 seconds to review the show, uh, rate the podcast. If you're enjoying it, giving it a five-star review really helps to allow us to reach a larger audience. So we'd be very grateful for that. And finally, for anyone who's been listening for a while, if you are willing to support us on Patreon, even a rate of $2 or $5 or $10, whatever you can do a month, that really goes a long way towards making the podcast sustainable because you know, I like to have a high quality product for you in terms of things like the audio quality. And that's why I pay for a, a professional production company to produce the shows. But that costs money. And even just whatever little you can do really helps to, to cover costs. So would be very grateful your, for your support. And thank you for listening either way. And I really hope that you enjoy this episode with Benny Lott on classical Chinese medicine versus TCM. So from a bird's eye perspective, the real big difference between the classical Chinese medicine and uh, traditional Chinese medicine is that traditional Chinese medicine has integrated a lot of Western medicine principles. And that's not to say that you know they, they prescribe Western drugs, but more the way of thinking that Western medicine uses has been applied to, to Chinese medicine to make traditional Chinese medicine make TCM. So what happens is... That so generally speaking, traditional Chinese medicine tends to adhere a lot closer to what, what Western traditions of medicine uh, will do, as opposed to classical Chinese medicine, which adheres more to like the classical philosophical Taoist ideas of what medicine is. Does that make sense? 
Totally does. Yes. Uh, can you give a little historical context for people who aren't familiar? For example, when did traditional Chinese medicine come about and how is that different than classical Chinese medicine? Right. When we're talking about classical Chinese medicine, we're essentially talking about the, the, the medicine that was practiced in China from roughly 500 BC before the Common Era up until just before the beginning of the 20th century. This is all what we you know, what would consider the classical period of China. And we couldn't possibly talk about all the different styles and ways and schools and niches of Chinese medicine that evolved and dissolved and intersected over over thousands over these thousands of years. But it was a very it was like a flourishing field through every every Chinese dynasty, and they were generally based on uh, classical. Chinese uh, philosophies, like we talked about in the last episode. So we talked about naturalism of Tao, the Taoist ideas, Taoist principles of believing that man is part of the cosmos and part of nature, and that uh, there's this thing called qi, which interacts between man and nature. And uh, the health of a human is based on how aligned he is with uh, this flow of qi, of their, with their Tao, with the balance of nature on the outside and the balance of their, their own innate personal nature. So in many ways, classical Chinese medicine revolves around this idea of, of bringing a person back to their natural, their natural state and emphasizes that. Now, TCM evolved, you can say it really began starting to evolve uh, in the middle of the 19th century when Western uh, medicine started, came to China for the first time. And a bunch of Chinese doctors picked it up in, in classical Chinese tradition. They embraced the idea of having many different disciplines and that Western medicine was one more tool they could use and implement within their, their concept of being doctors. At the time, there was no Chinese medicine and Western medicine. There was just medicine. So these Western ideas was were like a welcome, a, a new welcome tool into their into their toolbox. However, gradually, because of the uh, the political situation, the deterioration of classical China that happened in the second half of the 19th century with the Qing Dynasty, uh, essentially collapsed. And then what ensued after that was uh, essentially about 50 years of uh, of civil war and occupation from foreign powers. The system was lost. Anything classically, the whole the whole concept of classical China was lost and considered unmodern. And the Chinese governments, successive governments, and those who were in power gradually turned their backs more and more on anything that that belonged to these um, this world of classical China. These ideas that were based in um, in Taoism and Confucianism and the old world, with looking more that they wanted to modernize themselves and be more like the Westerners. And medicine was no different. And as a result of that, there was a big turning away from classical Chinese ideas and trying to implement more and more Western medicine and Western ideas. And this uh, finally culminated when the Chinese uh, Communist Party took power in the late 40s. And essentially what happened, they, they decided that they didn't want to get rid of Chinese medicine altogether. They decided that it did actually have a certain merit and it was actually needed at that particular period because when all the turmoil, the, the classical, the medical institutions, the medical system had collapsed and there just wasn't enough Western, there weren't enough Western doctors or Western medicine facilities available. So um, they had to draw on the classical, the classical Chinese doctors that were that were around. However, they felt that the um, the classical ideas of uh, Confucianism and Taoism and Buddhism and old China was not consistent with the communist ideals that they were they were perpetrating. That they, sorry, they were it was not consistent with, with the ideals that they were that they held. So they felt that they had to change the Chinese medicine to be more Westernized, so it would fit them politically. And this is how TCM was born. So TCM incorporates uh, ideas of, of Western diagnosis. It uses, well, we'll go, to, we'll go into that in a second. TCM has a much more Western emphasis can, on it. Can I ask you a question, Ben, just to clarify for people who might not know about why the ideals might be 
not be consistent. Is this sort of the standard, which is true of communist parties generally, they tend to be Marxism is a very materialist philosophy, and they tend to reject sort of all sorts of spirituality, uh, probably for a number of reasons, one of which, you know, they view it as a form of competition for their own ideology, or they view it as a form of opiate for the masses, as Marx said. Was it that kind of classical Marxist dislike of religion and the spirit that came with Taoism, or was there something else that made it inconsistent? Right. So I guess it's really impossible to have this conversation without talking about the history and politics of uh, China during the 20th century. I would agree with that, that I think that there was a certain aspect where the materialist aspect of uh, Marxism and communism would reject anything that they considered spiritual or hokey which um, you know, any discussion of chi or energy or or cosmic connection that doesn't that's not consistent with concrete Western science, with the tradition of Western science, um, would be rejected. So that would be one thing. However, I think at that point, even before the communists took power, there was such a dismissal of anything that had to do with with the old world of China, with anything that had to do with the spiritual cultural world of China as it had been existing for the past two thousand years. That I can imagine that it probably wouldn't have mattered if it was communism or not. Okay. It does. People would just want to come to the water. So it predates sort of communist ideology. Perhaps part of it was just inferring, knowing a little bit about the history of China, just sort of the fact that they'd been colonized by the West and sort of perhaps part of them, there was a discussion around how there was a need to modernize and reject some of the old ideals, I imagine, was part of that. Right. Well, China had been in such turmoil. China up until that point, up until the very end of the Qing dynasty, had viewed itself as um, sort of the paramount of culture and power in the world. The, the word for foreigner in, in classical Chinese is, uh, is barbarian, essentially. They viewed anyone who was not Chinese as non-cultured. And then came uh, the second half of the 19th century and uh, the opium wars and colonization from external powers. And suddenly they found themselves for the first time completely at the mercy of these who they considered barbarians. Um, and it was a big shock to their culture. It was a big shock to like the, the Chinese identity in that sense, as they perceived themselves for thousands of years. And it's it's very easy to make a connection where how, to see how um, in the ensuing century, there was a big, I guess, re reexamination of uh, of Chinese identity of who are we in that sense, and a lot of rejection of old ideas and Chinese medicine within that. Right. So what this does is that brings us to uh, second half of the 20th century, where Chinese medicine is still still held in China and considered. Uh, somewhat effective, though, in a lower status than Western medicine, but also just by virtue that it wasn't quite available enough. Um, that Western medicine wasn't quite available enough, it's still present and still used because for pragmatic reasons. The political climate kept on changing for, for the next couple decades within the Communist power Party. In Mao Zedong, sometimes there were periods where Chinese medicine was considered, uh, they called this the jewel of, of China, and it was something that they could be proud of. And, and at other times, like, um, for instance, during the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s, it was regarded as complete nonsense and dangerous to uh, to everybody. And actually, during the Cultural Revolution, due to uh, power struggles within the Communist Party, there was a big rejection of anything that had to do well, within the context of the bigger rejection of uh, Chinese culture. There was a um, purge of intellectuals and anyone relating to anything from the old world where monks and doctors and teachers and spiritualists of any type were carted away to concentration camps or executed or ridiculed and just really demoted in every single way. So again, Chinese medicine, even when it's at its TCM point, at its traditional Chinese medicine, after it had been integrated together with Western medicine ideals and lost a lot of its classical spiritual practices, a lot of its classical philosophical basis, 
had again taken uh, a huge hit during the Cultural Revolution, and um, many doctors were chased and persecuted and often killed. What happened, though, is that a lot of the classical Chinese doctors who did manage to get away escaped uh, mainland China and immigrated to Taiwan and to Korea and to Japan, and also eventually to Europe, where they continue to practice and they continue to teach, uh, teach people there classical Chinese medicine. What this means for today, that if anyone's looking for classical Chinese medicine traditions, they probably won't find them in main, mainland China. It'll be much, much harder to find them in mainland China, whereas um, there are a number of different schools outside of China, including the one that I studied with which carry some of these classical traditions. So if if I can ask something, so you've started to allude a little bit to, you know, what is one potential, I guess, advantage of TCM, which is that it did start to account for maybe developments in, in Western medicine and science. I don't want to assume that's wholly a good thing, but there's obvious some advantages to doing that. I'd like to unpack a little bit in terms of what you think was lost you know, what is sort of what was lost in the process as TCM evolved and discarded some of these classical ideas. Right. So one way to look at it is as if they took Chinese medicine, classical Chinese medicine, and gutted it of its um, of its base in order to integrate it for uh, make it more accessible and to make it more palatable for, for the political and modernized times that, they, that we were living in. So as a result, the, a lot of the philosophy was taken out in the sense that um, a Chinese doctor would not really be taught much about Taoist philosophy, about the cosmos, about the five elements, about yin and yang theory. They would be taught really just the bare, bare basics that they needed to, to function. And in fact, the, um, the, uh, the talk that we had, our last, our previous episode, goes into about the level of depth that would not be taught to a modern TCM practitioner in China. They would get to just very basics. So at this point, even our listeners might know know as much about that as um, as some some TCM practitioners. So that's lost, and as a result, a more Westernized system of well, before we before we talk about TCM, we can say that this uh, philosophy it's not just it's not just anecdotal. It's not just sort of a flowery decoration to what to how to practice the, the practice this way of medicine. So much as by knowing the philosophy, there's an understanding of how to use the diagnostic tools, the classical diagnostic tools of diagnosing a person using the pulse and the tongue and using the five elements and how to balance these five elements. If you don't learn five elements, you would not be able to use them. You would not be able to properly view a person through their their elements of imbalance and out of balance. You would not know the relationships between the two. So you could not choose acupuncture points or herbs or even qigong exercises that would use this to its effect as it was done in classical Chinese medicine. So what is TCM? TCM using um, a Western model of standardization uses uh, symptoms as a guideline. So instead of taking a pulse and reading into one, a person's yin-yang and five elements, it might you do the same thing that a Western doctor does, which says where the question, uh, where one of the main, the main tools for diagnostics is the symptoms. I'd be interested in, you know, if a person has a headache or a toothache, what their digestion is telling me, and then base my treatment on the symptoms they are, they are experiencing. So this might sound just, you know, to, um, to the casual listener, to our listeners at home, they say, well, you know, this is, this is how medicine is practiced. If you're not going to base your, your diagnosis on, on a person's symptoms, then what are you going to base it on? So here's the thing, where classical Chinese medicine, it's, its level of efficiency from its ability to differentiate between different the underlying energy that's at play in different types of, uh, of symptoms of external illnesses, let's call these. So for instance, if I have a headache, there might be five or six different reasons that I might have this headache. It might be because my wood is out of balance. It might be because my earth is out of balance. It might be because something's happening between the metal and the fire. There's many different explanations. If I, as a classical Chinese doctor, were able to accurately diagnose which type of headache this is, 
using the five element model and using maybe the yin yang model, I would know I would be able to precisely choose good treatment and then effectively get rid of it. Whereas TCM, having gotten rid of these the underlying theories that support this, they instead are the textbooks in TCM instead of the theory, it's replaced with uh, long lists of acupuncture points which are effective for headaches without differentiation of which ones to use for which situation often. So a TCM acupuncturist might, um, in the case of a headache, might decide to needle 10 different points which they know to be effective for headaches. And this might have an eff- might have a certain amount level of effect on, a, on your patient. It might actually help them. And oftentimes, in the face of no treatment, it is it can be much, much... Um, in the case of not having any treatment at all, having 10 acupuncture points, which two or three of them might be effective, will often be helpful for someone suffering from headaches. Whereas the classical model, however, allowed a space where a level of expertise that uh, the doctor could diagnose the situation correctly with the underlying imbalance correctly, the underlying energies correctly, so that one or two points, they would know which points to use precisely and then have a much, much stronger effect. To illustrate that, Maybe I'll tell a little bit about, scratch that, edit that part out. So what it comes down to is essentially is classical Chinese medicine is much more effective than traditional Chinese medicine often because of its level of precision and diagnosis that it can use. Traditional Chinese medicine can be very effective, especially in a seasoned practitioner. However, someone who's been trained only in TCM methods would often not be able to know how to know why one treatment for headaches would work and then the same treatment on someone else would not work. So statistically, maybe their, the success rate of their clinic will be lower. Whereas with the classical and the classical model, we have many more tools to understand why something is working and why it's not, and therefore getting to a much, much higher level of accuracy. Make sense? Interesting. Yeah. So as someone, you happen to be training classical Chinese medicine. I have trained the classical Chinese and medicine. And I feel like one thing that I've picked up on just in sort of uh, in learning what little I know about classical Chinese medicine, that really jumped out. And it was through watching several talks through Jeffrey Ewan, which I mentioned to you. Mm -hmm. For our audience members who aren't familiar, I'd highly recommend checking out Jeffrey Ewan, very famous classical Chinese medicine doctor in the US. And what the thing that really jumped out at me when I watched his talks was when he started talking about disease and illness, it was a lot of his questions were not about located, not only what's happening in that particular part of your body, but not necessarily they weren't about just the fit what's happening on a physical level he was asking questions that were things like you know for someone who had cancer you know what in your life feels unfinished what have you what kind of business do you have left undone and he was asking a lot of questions that were related to the idea of all diseases are ultimately a disease of the spirit which he sort of talked about as a classical Chinese view. And that is the big thing that really jumped out for me. So I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit about that in the few minutes we have left on how the classical Chinese view of diseases is different, how it's related to the spirit. Sure. We can definitely talk about that. So when we're talking about classical Chinese medicine, again, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of years of different traditions. So it's actually not just one particular way of practicing, and there's many different ones. Generally speaking, they tend to emphasize the connection between spirit and physical much, much more than TCM. In fact, TCM really 
ignores it completely. And uh, Jeffrey Wan's The Purity Jade Tradition, which Jeffrey Wan teaches, and it's really wonderful, puts a special, a special emphasis on um, the emotional root of all illness. Now, if you remember last time in the last conversation we had, we talked about the five elements and also the affiliation that they have with not just the physical organs, but also with the emotions. So from this classical perspective, we can see how emotions really have a direct effect on the physical body and that we can address these. And within this context, we can affect people's emotions and also use the emotions to affect the physical, something which is not we're not able to do in TCM, which goes with the Western perception of a physical spiritual split, as in spirit does not play a role in physical health. In my own practice, I tend to put, like, like Jeffrey Yuan, I put a very high importance on people's emotional wellness. I'm also very interested to know what kind of emotional context was uh, they were in when, when an illness first appeared, to know, to get an idea of... Um, let's say, which, which organs and which energy systems were under duress due to emotional reasons that they, they started showing physical signs of collapse. And also, more importantly, why it keeps on happening. Maybe this emotional context is still, is still there. Maybe the emotional problem is still present in their life. And that would be a main reason that that could, that could be a, a significant reason on why they are not getting healthy, despite whatever treatments they're doing, or that they're not working as well as they could. And that was a wonderful sort of explanation you gave, Ben. And so let's just close out by thanking you so much for this four-part series. And I think this was a fascinating note to end on. I think each of these talks gave us, you know, just a little taste of some huge concepts and hopefully some inspiration for our audience to dive deeper into some of these big ideas in Chinese medicine. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. You're very welcome. Really happy to do it. Awesome, man. Well, have a great treatment. Thanks. All right, man. Take care. Let's talk soon. Okay. Bye. Okay. See you, bud.